Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week, the perennial debate. Do you have time in the market or do you try and time the market? Time or timing? Make sure you take plenty of notes. And as always, make sure you take plenty of action. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Good to be here, Mr. B, and for good reason, because today we're going to get into one of the great debates of investing, be it property market, equity market, crypto, we're going to talk about timing the market versus mm. time in the market. So a longer term approach. Both have their pros and cons. We're going to talk about more importantly, which one may be right for our listeners. Indeed. And uh, it's uh, it's an all encompassing uh, uh, agenda, I suppose, insofar as the whole idea of being a direct share investor is that you're able to add value by timing your trading decisions. So yeah, this may call into question the approach that people are taking. Uh, it might validate the approach they're taking. Either way, our goal is to make sure they're left in, a, uh, in an ideal and improved financial position as a consequence. So yeah, it's an important thing. Now, the, the investing world has been, I guess, polar opposite on these for quite some time. So why has there been such a difference in the philosophies? But trying to time the market, let's just get some definitions on the table, would be where you're looking to get in and out strategically to try and add value to your returns. More active, right? Yeah, more active. So you might go, look, you know, here's a particular stock I trade, but I'm going to sell it today because I feel it's it's had its run uh, with a view to buying back subsequently later on and hopefully at a much lower price so you can enjoy yeah, more profit from that trade effectively, which on the surface of it ticks a lot of boxes. You know, it's logical, it makes sense. Um, you know, it, on paper, it looks like it's going to be more profitable. Uh, but the reality of doing that is actually just a little bit more challenging than what most people are up for. And even, you know, with some reasonably sophisticated skills can actually be quite difficult to do. That's right. I mean, you try and buy in at the lows or sell out at the highs, sometimes you can get it right, but a lot of times you can get caught out and you can miss the boat. You're in the lap of the gods because you know, you're know you subject to moves in the market and underlying stocks. Um, and, and I guess in a way, um, is one of the many reasons why I like the options strategy we particularly promote, which we call cash on demand, because that doesn't require a directional move in the stock. You're getting paid some money guaranteed, which I think is very, very important um, from a certainty perspective, from a human needs. We look at the other side of the coin for a minute, and that's a more passive approach where you just don't try and time the market, you just have time working for you. So you put some cash in and just let it sit there and roll. Um, yeah, it's very easy, it's passive, you don't need to do much. It can be very exhilarating when markets are moving up and also equally frustrating when markets are pulling back and you think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm giving away all the gains I just made. So you can understand yeah, on one side that the boxes tick for it being passive and very easy, doesn't require you to do too much. And when it works, it works really nicely. Um, but when it's going against you, it's, it's, it's pretty galling sitting there and watching a portfolio go backwards. So there's two very distinct um, sort of mindset spaces. Do you be more active and try and add value? And I say try and add value because you may not. Uh, or do you just take the rough and tumble of what the market has and take the long-term average gain, which is probably 8 9% if you look at the S&P over a 20-year period, uh, and that's what you're looking to achieve. And uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. It comes down to your personality, it comes down to ego, it comes down to a lot more than that too. Oh, yeah. Well, let's start with the easier of the two, shall we? Mm. So let's say taking a more longer-term passive approach, spending time in the market. Mm. Now, that on the surface may seem, you know, can put 5000 into an ETF and let it sit there forever. It, there's probably a little bit more required than that because adding to that regularly in order to actually increase that can often lead to compounding higher returns down the track. Mm. What skill set or approach would you say is necessary to make that a reality? Yeah, I actually quite like that approach. And I, I think when you're dealing with people that are new to markets or new to in the world of investing, 
I think the biggest issue isn't what the market does, it's actually the friction of getting started or not getting started because it's, as we all know, it's far easier to do nothing than to actually do something. So I think taking as much friction out of the decision uh, as possible is a good thing. So I think, you know, if you've got some savings and we talk very, you know, specifically about this in, in, in the book, the Wealth Playbook, where, you know, if you've got money saved up, keeping it in cash probably isn't the ideal place for it if you want it to grow. So you've got to get it working and maybe having regular contributions toward an ETF, an exchange traded fund portfolio that just tracks the market performance can be a great way of uh, very minimal friction and actually getting yourself up and running. Um, so I, I do like that approach. And as you rightly say, if you sort of chip in every couple of months more cash, effectively what you're doing is dollar cost averaging as well, which over time uh, can, can, can work really well for you and you get that money really growing, uh, you reinvest your proceeds in it and, and that money can compound and turn into quite a nice little nest egg for you over time. So I'm a huge believer in that entry point into markets uh, for people. Um, I also think there's value add in other approaches too. And I guess if you if you look at the benchmark, the idea of timing markets, I guess, is what professional funds managers look to do. And if you look at the S&P research, the Spiva reports and things like that, you know, around 80% is actually more than uh, fund managers, uh, nearly 81% of fund managers underperform the index. That's crazy. Over uh, you know, a three, five, 10 year period of time. So even with all of the capability and skill and qualification and, and armies of analysts and good quality execution facilities, 81% of them managed to underperform the market. Um, the question you've got to ask yourself is what value add do you believe that you bring to the table that might put you in that 19% that outperforms? So, you know, there's an ego at play here as well. We think, I know what I'm doing, I can do better than that. Uh, but it actually is a lot more challenging than what people would think. You know, there are some specific things you need to have. You need to have skills. You, you need to have a strategy, an edge. Um, you need to have great risk management. You need to be very decisive. Uh, yeah, and they're just amongst um, some of the things. You know, you've got to have time to do this. If you're going to be more active in the market, it means you're going to have to be reading more research or looking at more charts, for example. So you need to make a, a bigger time commitment. And you may have the ability to do all of those things. But your personality type might be that you're a bit of a procrastinator, in which case you can do all of that work. But if you're not great at arriving at a decision at the end of it, you're not going to make a decision and you you ultimately are going to get left behind and and it's not going to work for you. So it's more than just a set of skills. It's understanding who you are as a person too. Got you. The big thing that jumps out to me, and this is for both camps really, is mm -hmm. to have a structure and process. Even if you are passive, if you're going to use it as a regular saver, for example, mm -hmm. that is a process that you've set. Even more so true when you're trying to time the market, as you say, having a strategy, risk management, discipline, an actual plan of attack is really important. So can we ask you then, AB, specifically, what skills are required and how do you actually do it? Mm. Big question. I think a blend of analysis is really important. Uh, technical analysis, learning to read the chart, I think is, is invaluable in terms of finding better access points into markets, um, you know, where you're buying in at better prices. Because you know, let's face it, buying shares is about two things. Number one, it's about finding good companies. And number two is making sure you pay the right price for them. That's right. So using fundamentals is great to help you to, to find what you might consider to be a good company, but then timing it by using your technicals uh, can be uh, where a value add comes in. So if you put those two things together, use quants as well, which is one of our proprietary approaches, yeah, that's starting to 
fashion an edge for you, if you will, uh, to, to give you the ability to, to, to time your decisions a bit more effectively. You know, one of the old adages, you know, you know sell in May and go away, used to be, you know, what everyone talked about in markets. So get out of the market in May and then, you know, back in back end of the year, October, time to get back in and enjoy those better months. And, you know, we've got, you know, some fairly sophisticated software in our trading lab for looking at seasonal patterns and ideal timing decisions and all of that sort of razzmatazz, which most people at home just simply don't have. And to an extent, they can provide you know quite good value add um, you know in, in terms of the way that certain stocks behave or certain markets behave through different times of the year. Um, but it also requires immense amounts of discipline to then follow those signals. So um, selling in May and going away also means that you're missing um, you know the likes of July and August, which can be two of the better months in markets. And I guess if you sit on the sidelines and markets run, you then have that fear of missing out. We go, oh, gee, this is really running. I better get back in. Even though your plan was to get out in May and get back in in October, once it starts running, let's say, for example, July, August, you start to sort of test your mental fortitude. Should, shouldn't I be in? It looks like it's running maybe this year. My plan is not working properly and I need to, to get back involved. So you've got to have a, you know, a, a decent belief system uh, in, in the process that you're using. Yeah, until that end, you know, if you look statistically, you know, June and September, I would say are probably two of the weaker months in market. So if you're going to have a plan, um, you know, to sell up at the end of May, okay, well, that's fine. And then maybe if June is a particularly weak month and you've got money saved up, not only do you get back in, but you put more in then as well, because seasonally it may well be at a lower level. Again, you're out at the end of August and September is the other seasonally weak month, particularly. So if you look at June and September on the US market, especially, they typically are two of the weaker months. So you might have a strategy to, 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 to buy in toward the back end of June, maybe cash out again at the end of August and then buy back in again in September and then let it run through right the way to, uh, to, to the end of May. Now, that requires discipline. It also requires remembering to do that. Just say it sounds complicated. And, and it probably isn't that hard. There's a couple of transactions that really isn't that hard. And it's got the potential to help you avoid those seasonally weak months. But sometimes those seasonally weak months don't perform that way. Sometimes they can have an absolute ripper if there's some good news going around or there are some geopolitical events or whatever it may be. So all of a sudden, you've sidelined yourself with a technical system and you're not looking out the window um, to see what's going on. I guess it's like, you know, you might look at your computer or some technology and say, oh, the hydrograph says it's raining. You look out the window, it's brilliant sunshine. You, you, the, the, that's the empirical evidence. You've got to kind of look out the window and see what's gotcha. going on too. So, you know, there's a couple of fairly straightforward ways uh, of, of, of maybe trying to use timing and, and stack the odds or do you just sit back and just dollar cost average? And I think it's important to note too, when we talk about timing the market, we're not speaking about day trading Definitely to make not. that really clear. No. You know, well, If you take that point, I mean, there's no wonder 98% of day traders lose money because not only are you trying to time the market, but you're trying to do that all day, every day, which is, you know, you might be, you might get you know, reasonably accurate a few times a year on some of those big seasonal swings, but to try and do the same, to do that every day is pretty damn difficult. I know I've been there, I've done that. It's very, very difficult. Um, yet some people gravitate toward that because, Maybe it strokes their ego or it gives them something to do if they've got a lot of time. And there's that immediate and instant gratification, which some people are driven by psychologically. I know you and I are much more longer term delayed gratification type personality type. So I don't need a day trade to reinforce, oh, good, I made some money today. I don't know it happens anyway with the process I have. But other people that need that reinforcement, you know, literally on the B of the bang, then that's maybe why they get sucked into that. So, you know, I guess one thing rather than timing, uh, the market or having time in the market is to totally reframe time altogether uh, and use it as an ally. And again, that brings me back to 
my preferred types of trading, which are in the derivatives, specifically in the option space. And you know, I, I love the options market. I've traded for decades, and that's a, an area where you can really use time as your friend. Um, you can sell an option and have time decay working for you. So every day that passes becomes a profit day for you because that option that you've sold is diminishing in value because time is passing by. And that's a way of not then getting caught up on trying to time the market or, or just being too passive, but instead taking time as an asset for you as opposed to a stick to beat you over the head. So there's a third dimension, I guess, to you know to that kind of com- conversation. Yeah, bottom line is just get started. And if low friction is what you're after, um, then, you know, buy into the market in an index tracker ETF, add money to it regularly as you get amounts saved up. Maybe as you move a little further along the line, you're able to see those seasonal patterns a little bit and think, well, okay, yeah, what they said was right and June's usually a bit hairy and so too is September. So if I've got money saved up, um, they'll be the months I use to deploy that into the market, being lower levels and giving me more opportunity to make a bit of money out of it. But that might be the extent of the, the fancy footwork for most people. Uh, and yet others, um, yeah, we teach this, we can put you through a pretty comprehensive program on reading charts. Uh, and then you can start to really pick highs and lows in that market, but it requires a significantly high level skill. So you've got to be trained on that. You can't just, oh yeah, I'm going to time the market and expect it to work. You need to be drilled and skilled in order to uh, in order to do that successfully. And we've certainly got a good track record in helping people do that, but it's not for everybody. Absolutely. Skill set, really important timing. Mm. One thing that we can mention to finish off here today, AB, and you mentioned earlier, was risk management. So. Mm regardless of whatever you're doing, managing your risk is critical, particularly if you're timing the market, Mm. burying your head in the sand in those weaker months, Mm. could replace that with a really good risk management strategy so you don't miss the upside, but you've got your downside protected. So what's your recommendation in in that sense? 100% on that. I think, you know, to give you a a case in point, you know, I'm holding a couple of bank trades at the moment and that they're in pretty good profit. Um, and this market, literally, as we're recording this uh, in terms of uh, timing the podcast, has been through a bit of a shaky time, a lot of downward pressure on the market. So all I've done, I've bought some insurance. I've bought put options to protect my shares and to protect my profits. So now I don't really have any downside exposure. I had to buy those puts. It cost me money. But to fund it, I sold some time by selling a call. Very and nice. I put a strategy on that's called a collar. And you don't do that all the time. But I've done it at the moment because I feel there's downside risk. Now, uh, there might be people that say, well, why don't you just sell the shares? But they're paying a dividend in a couple of weeks' time, which I'm pretty keen to get as well. So I want to keep the shares through that period of time, but I do want to manage my downside risk. So there's an example of if you upskill, you can protect yourself from that that you don't want and leave yourself exposed to the thing that you do. That's a few steps along the board for most people when they're getting started in this journey. Stop losses can help. And I think... Yeah, that notion of sort of trying to time time the market. If you think about big corrections that happen in markets, and look, they don't happen that often. You know, we had the COVID correction. There's the GFC, dot-com boom and bust, 87 crash. Yeah, they're not things that happen all too frequent, frequently. You know, maybe every decade or so, you're due to see, see a bit of bark come off. And how you respond to those kind of things is, is important because, you know, if you're able to protect yourself, as I've just discussed, by buying insurance or if you've got a rudimentary understanding of how to read the tape and understand what the charts are trying to say, there's always good notice with those things. Yeah, 9-11 was a little different. It was an act of terror, although you know, markets were sort of starting to move into a downtrend at that point anyway. 
But most big corrections in markets are really quite well telegraphed in terms of it doesn't happen overnight. There's quite a, a period of grinding lower before it finally peels uh, and drops down. So you know, if you see those signs in the market, you can use them as a, hit the exit button. The hardest thing in the world when you're sitting on the sideline is when are you going to get back in? Because you've put all this pressure on yourself now. Well, I got out and I was really good with my time in getting out. That puts a lot of pressure on being good to get back in. And that's, Ooh, yeah. that's, that's, that's a lot of bandwidth for people to take on board if they haven't been trained. It's it's not easy. Uh, and, I, and I say that candidly, that sort of behavior of being able to you know, pick a correction as it's happening or prior to it happening, bit of nice footwork, either protect yourself or exit, or even short the market if you're at that more advanced level. Then when do you get back in? And, and, and it's so hard psychologically because you're still doing a lap of honor of getting out at the right time. And you kind of feel a bit of a goose if you get in too early. But remember, if it's already dropped 15, 20%, that's 15 to 20% of risk that you've avoided. You've given yourself a little bit of wiggle room to get back in. And if your timing's out a little bit, well, you could probably live with that. You've missed most of the pain that's hurt uh, hurt your peer group and other people in there. But you know that, again, is, is something you can't expect to just jump in and do. You've got to work up to it by spending the time learning how to read the tape or, or, or getting the tempo of the market right through some training. Or do you just go stuff it? I'm just going to take a long-term view and just let it grind, eight nine percent a year every year. Add more money on a pullback uh, to dollar cost down, and uh, not and a bad way to play it. Really, and, and that's about as easy as you can make it. And I don't know. It'd be very interesting if you sat down and actually compared the performance of those two strategies over a twenty or thirty-year period uh, to see what shakes out. But remember, I guess yeah, we're in this field of not just investment but also personal development, and I think. Yeah, if you just look strictly through the investment lens, the only litmus test, the only answer that matters is how much money have you made? And it's not strictly true because looking at the volatility of that return is also you know, a pretty important criteria. But if you look at it through the other set of lenses, the personal development space is to say, well, yeah, what skills, how much are you growing as a person and how is that impacting on your well-being? not in terms of just making profit, but that feeling of, uh, I guess, greater fulfillment of being able to have more say in how your money's worked. And, and, and that's a much harder thing to measure, but it's equally important for people. They, you, know, you look at people that manage their own super, uh, a lot of them don't really have that greater skill set in terms of making the investment decision, but they feel good about themselves because they've got more say in what's going on. It's a bit of a dangerous conversation then because you've got all the responsibility and all the work without the skills to back it up, but you've ticked the box to say, I'm taking control. You're not really taking control, you're just taking on the problem. If you've upskilled and then you're taking on, that's a little bit of a different sort of paradigm, I suppose. So yeah, I wouldn't underestimate how important feeling fulfilled about having more control of your money is as well, which is definitely more exciting and fulfilling than just having it in an index tracker that grinds away in the background. So I guess like everything, it comes down to what's your actual goal? What do you want out of this and why do you want it? And if you don't spend your time with those two, three basic, but very, very important questions, what do you want, why do you want it? Um, then you know, you're building everything on a pretty shaky platform. The ladder's leaning against the wrong wall before you start climbing it. But if you've taken the time to work out, well, yeah, I do want the opportunity to make some money, but I do feel that I want to have more control and more say in what goes on. Well, you know, you need to get educated and you can maybe focus on timing the market a little bit more. That's right. And then again, obviously, skill set, risk management, everything else in time, between. Time, skill set, personality. Yeah, how decisive are you? And unfortunately, you know, we meet an awful lot of people and I think most people aren't great at making decisions. And again, psychologically, it's because of the pressure they put on themselves that I must get this right. I, no one says you have to get it right. You've got to get things wrong a lot to get things right a lot. 
uh, but, but people's expectations are they don't want to get it wrong ever and they beat themselves up mentally when they make mistakes and if you're committed to that journey of growing and learning new skills you've got to expect to take a bit of bark off on the way through keep it under control but you still need to take a bit of bark off on the way through so if your personality type is such that you know you're a procrastinator or a perfectionist you're going to find it very very hard to time the market absolutely ab great little rundown today thank you very much and hopefully this has benefited our listeners today my pleasure anytime mitch There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we look forward to hosting you next week.